I'm Josh Mills. And I'm John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are very excited to have you guys back after a special week of cocktails last week. Dad, that was a fun episode, wasn't it? That was very fun. I really enjoyed it. And Joanne, she hoo-hooed and clapped at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she seemed like she had a really good time as well. Right. So we're uh, we're looking forward to another great week. Uh, we're doing wine this week. Dad, what are we doing Oh, well, actually, we are doing wine, but it's all going to come from the Champagne region of France. So I have Monet and Chandon Rosé Imperial. Very good. That's right. And I've got, I've got a Champagne as well. I have the Pierre Peters Cuvée de Reserve, their Blanc de Blanc, which is also a Grand Cru. And for my snacks, I have Normandy-style Camembert Puff Pastry with sliced pears on the side. I did a simple oven salmon and a red velvet cake. And what do you have, Josh? So I've got some salty popcorn. I have a goat cheese that's covered in wild blueberries, lemon, and some fresh thyme. And then I have some sous vide braised and seared off uh, pork belly. All right. Getting a little bit more what I did with that. Um, once we get in there. So I'm really excited about this. We're going into the holiday season. Uh, We talked about this and we decided to do some champagnes because, you know, getting into the holiday season, you know, people want to celebrate and we're getting to New Year's. This will be the last wine episode we do before New Year's. That's kind of crazy if you ask me. So we decided to do some champagnes, a couple of our favorite champagnes uh, that we have around the house that are great for celebrating and great for everyday drinking. Well, you say around the house... What happened, Josh? I said Rosé Nectar Imperial. I didn't buy it. And I went to our favorite liquor store. The shelf was empty. I asked them if they had any in the back. They came back and said, we don't have any in the back, and we don't know if we'll ever get any. And I'm going, what? So I went to another liquor store. He said he'd have his person order it. Well, guess what? The order was devoid of 70 cases so then i tried another liquor store none well i finally went to the fourth liquor store and that's where i got the rose imperial couldn't find the next yeah but i got the rose imperial as we as we get into this a little bit more we'll talk about kind of what's going on and how 2020 has kind of changed the kind of changed the champagne the current champagne market that we have and whether it's good or bad, we'll kind of talk about how some of that's changed. We'll kind of get into a little bit more of what makes champagne. Why is it? Why do people see it so special? And why can it be hard to find like my dad found out today? Well, two, two weeks ago, we had a liquor episode. That's right. And I blind tasted a whiskey. And I thought it was a American rye whiskey. Dad, uh, what was it? Well, that's American. Okay. And it's Rocktown, but it's a bourbon. It's the Rocktown four-year-old bourbon. Uh, okay, so it was just their regular. It was just their regular bourbon. Yeah, but four years for them when they were first starting out, and I bought this bottle when they first came out at after the four years, and and uh, it's it's very good. But like we've said before, you know, when you put that liquor into the barrel, you're not making any money. <laughs> right. So he brought it out after four years, and it's it's pretty darn good. Yeah, it's a it's a great bourbon. It comes across a little hot, and I think that's why I thought it was thought it was a rye, kind of yeah, gave me that little yeah. spicy flavor, the hot that hot hot flavor. 
So if it had been in the barrel longer, it would have calmed down. Yeah, maybe. So, great. Well, uh, I'm excited. I'm really, actually, I'm really excited to get into these champagnes. Champagne is one of my favorite regions. I've, I've said it before to my friends, if I could only drink one region the rest of my life, it would probably be champagne. You know, there's something, there's something about it that's just absolutely delicious. And, you know, it's to me, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, it is more than just a celebration. It's something that can be drank anytime you want. And it doesn't have to just be, doesn't have to just be a special occasion wine. That's right. And we found out uh, last week in the cocktail episode, you can mix it and make a French 75. You know, you sure can. All right. You want to get started, Josh? Yeah. So once again, we're going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be doing the Pierre Peters Cuvée de Reserve Blanc de Blanc. And we've got some pork belly popcorn and then some goat cheese to go along with it. I'd say we should probably start with the popcorn. Okay. The popcorn and champagne is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite pairings of all time. Champagne loves stuff that's salty. One of the most classic, you know, one of the most classic pairings with champagne. I'm going to say popcorn right now. Well, no, it's another high dollar item. High dollar? Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be salty. Uh, Tell me, Josh. Comes from Russia. Oh, caviar. Caviar, that's right. Champagne and caviar have been known to go together since, you know, like the beginning of time. And it's because of that saltiness. And, you know, I can't afford caviar. I don't really enjoy caviar either. But I I love popcorn, and I think it's going to be a great pairing. So let's go ahead and uh, let's get into it. What do you think? Well, it's a nice yellow straw color. The bubbles are still coming out of the bottom of the glass. We poured these, what, 10 minutes ago? Yeah, probably just about 10, 15 minutes ago. Yeah, so, oh, and it's a lovely smell. It smells like bread and lemon. Yeah, I get the, I get the lemon the, and the fruitiness. There's some fruit in there. Of course, there's the grapes in there. It smells, it smells so good. So, a little bit about this champagne. So, champagne can only come from the Champagne region of France. And it's one of the really protected names. Champagne, they're only allowed to grow four or three different grapes. They're only allowed to grow Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Meunier. Okay. Those are the only three grapes that go into Champagne. Now, Blanc de Blanc means white from white. Right. So this Champagne only has white grapes in it. So because of that, we know it is 100% Chardonnay. And so because of that, we're getting some of those apple citrusy notes and then the breadiness from how they age it yeah and i took a little sip josh and it's right at the same time you said apple i was tasting green apple it was very very fruit yeah that apple taste to me, really refreshing really acidic and to me acid cries for salt okay acid wants salt and fat so having a really buttery popcorn that's got all those all those wonderful salty flavors i think it's going to go really well with it um, but like I said, you know, this champagne is 100% Chardonnay. There's nothing else in it but Chardonnay. And this is one of the few times that I like Chardonnay. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, having it, having it with champagne is just fantastic. And, you know, I mentioned that this is a Grand Cru. In champagne, you have three different levels. You have Grand Cru, you have Premier Cru, and then you have just regular champagne. Oh, okay. So Grand Cru is the, is the top. It's the top, and that's what this is? Yeah, this is a Grand Cru, which means it comes from Grand Cru 
vineyards. Okay. And the or Grand Cru region. So uh, what's the price point on that bottle? This bottle runs between sixty and seventy five dollars a bottle. Okay. Um, but like I was saying, this comes from the region of Lemonio de or Lemonio Sur so this is a really particular region. Like I said, this is Grand Cru. There are some really, really high dollar champagnes that come from this region. Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. ever heard of Salon? Yeah. Salon comes from this region. Salon runs about $400 a bottle in our okay. market. Um, in other markets, it runs $1,000 $1, oh, yeah. a bottle. Mm-hmm. And we're Krug, not talking a uh, three liter bottle. No, we're talking a normal 750 bottle. Krug, which is another $300 bottle, has some has some vines in this area. So it's a really prestigious area and it's great. And I'm really sad because when this, when this wine first hit the market, we were getting, we were getting it for $45 a bottle. Oh, wow. Which was a super deal. And I think it was just an introductory deal into the market. You know, this is distributed by a group called here in Arkansas. It's called natural state, but it's imported by a group called Skernick. Okay. They do a lot of really, really good stuff. So Okay. I see you snacking with the popcorn while I've been chit-chatting. How's, you know, it, it, how's it taste? It does just what you said it would. The salt of the popcorn and the champagne are just begging to be paired together. So, still get that apple, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I get like a salty apple. Yeah, but it kind of <laughs> softens it a little bit. It does, yeah. So, you've had this before with me, right? I think so. So, what do you kind of remember about it? What do you mean? What do I remember? Well, I remember it's very good. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, we, Joanne and I tend to go to the rosés. Right. But as far as this one, I'd forgotten that it's 100% Chardonnay. Right. And I'm like you. It's like, this is Chardonnay I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you still have a lot of that racy apple. Not mm-hmm. acidic. When I say racy, I mean highly acidic. Mm-hmm. And it's bubbly. It's delicious. You know, it's not too sweet. This is a brute. Now, when it comes to champagne... And there are different words that come on a label. And one of those words has to do with its sweetness level. So to unpack those a little bit, you have a brute or you have brute natural. So that means there's no dosage. Think if you remember back when, when we did the Oregon episode and I talked about the method Champenois. Yeah. Uh-huh. The way that wine is made in Champagne right at the very end after they, you know, after they, disgorge all the old yeast that it's been sitting on. They put the liquor de triage or the dosage back in. Mm-hmm. And that, that sugar content of that denotes whether it's, whether it's brut natural, extra brut, brut, do, um, or those type of levels. So brut natural means there's absolutely no dosage put in there. There's no okay. sugar liquor put back in. Extra brut, is like zero grams per liter to three grams per liter. Not much. No, not much at all. Brut is zero to like seven grams, which is what this is. Okay. So you can have anywhere in there and you can call it a brute. And then you have then you have other ones that where you get into the sweeter levels where you have demisec, which is half sweet, which is actually <laughs> half sweet is sweeter than brute. And then you have <laughs> sec, which is sweeter than demisec. And then you have do, D-O-U-X, which is sweeter than sec. And it kind of goes like that. Most champagne, most great champagnes you're going to find are going to be in, be somewhere in the extra brute to demi-sec area. The nectar imperial that you were talking about is actually a demi-sec. 
Okay. So it's a little bit sweeter, and that's that imperial piece that they, mm-hmm. or the nectar, sorry, the nectar piece that they talk about. The right. nectar denotes that it's going to be a little bit sweeter. Yeah. So if you're going for a Moe and Chandon, and you want something a little bit sweeter, if you find one of the nectars, right. it's going to be a little bit sweeter. But anyway, sorry. I'm <laughs> the, you know, this, the wine episodes are the ones where I'd like really, really nerd out. Well, <laughs> because right. it's kind of my, it's right. kind of my thing. So what'd you taste with the popcorn? So I, I you know, I kind of add that same thing that the acidity lessens a little bit with the butter. The salt brings out more of the fruity flavors and kind of takes down some of the autolysis or some of that bready brioche flavors, mm-hmm. which are which are definitely prominent. Oh yeah, that buttery that buttery taste is up front before you before you start taking the right. salty popcorn, along with the green apple. Yeah. Man, that's really good. But there's a there's a bitter quality to this that that I really enjoy. It's kind of like apple skin. Okay. That just kind of balances out. It's the you have the you have the acidity, you have the extra bitterness that continues to make your mouth water, which I think is what I think it's really good. So, well, so Dad, what are some of your like ex- stories with champagne, or what are some of your experiences when it comes to champagne? Champagne was not something that we did much. Mm-hmm. Really, our adult life. I mean, champagne in in high school or college, or even first out of school, first job, whatever. Champagne was not really on the list because they are more expensive. Right now, Marie was saying how she drank some champagne. I think in the cocktail episode, or a friend seventy five for when she signed a lease. Well, when we bought our first house, we didn't do champagne. We got a bottle, pretty nice red wine okay but as far as champagne i mean that's just really been a recent thing for joanne and i did you guys drink a lot of like the american sparkling wines not really or anything either. like that uh-uh okay real ben since you've had a wine nerd son that you've been well, <laughs> I, wouldn't the att- I wouldn't attribute it 100 <laughs> percent to you right but you know champagne i think you said it one time and maybe it's uh, i don't remember which episode Champagne is something you could do any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just some of those champagnes are pretty pricey. Right. This uh, Rosé Nectar Imperial, I said last week it's probably about 70 Well, when I was at the liquor store, I noticed it was going to be in the 80s, minus Wine Wednesday. Right. We're, so, bar- we're bargain shoppers. Now, you know, and I, I think... Moet and Chandon is, is quality stuff just like this this brute to brute you've got. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not really any major stories about champagne. Okay. I mean, we would we'd pop a cork every once in a while. Right. You know, like crazy black and beach stories like with the no. Alicia Doe. <laughs> no. Champagne stories, black and beach, whatever. New Year's Eve was was an occasion that we would do a champagne. Okay. Almost every year. Right. But now we don't, you know, it's it's not fun to stay out all night, bring the new year in, and drive home. That's just not smart. Right. And so we haven't been doing that. We'll do a champagne here at home for that New Year's Eve, and we'll make, you know, surf and turf like we plan to. Yeah, what do you normally make when you do kind of your New Year's, new year's thing? Uh, a nice steak with Alaskan king crab asparagus and then uh some nice dessert mm-hmm. 
And that champagne will go, you know, you don't have to drink red wine with a steak. You don't have to drink white wine with the Alaskan king crab. But I tell you what, a rosé imperial or a rosé of any champagne style will go well. Right. You know, that's the great thing about champagne, you know. And I really learned this when I really started getting into wine. And I actually would focus on pairings a little bit. I realized champagne can go from the front to the back of a meal. That's right. You know, you know, I would love at some point in my life to do a full champagne dinner where, you know, I've got three or four courses and everything is paired with a champagne. I think, you know, I think that would be super fun, super fantastic. Not only because I love champagne, but it shows the versatility of the drink itself. And it's not just a cel- like like we said, it's not just a celebratory wine. You know, it really can. It's so versatile. The acid the body lends itself to pretty much everything. And one of the things, you know, we've got pork belly on this plate, but one of my favorite pairings with champagne is actually duck. Okay. I think that would go well. The fattiness of the duck. Yeah, sure. the fattiness of the duck, the gaminess, the meat. It's really good with, excuse me, it's really good with rosé champagne. And, you know, I was thinking about doing that. I just couldn't find, I couldn't find it. What, duck? Couldn't find duck for under Seventeen dollars a pound. For you, need duck a, breast. you need a duck on our friend. Yes, but it's not. It's not duck season. <laughs> duck season doesn't start. I think for another week or so. Well, they're getting ready. They're getting yeah. They're getting close, but they're still running in deer season right now. All right. What but, are we doing next pairing? Well, I think the next pairing is you go ahead and go with the cheese. All right. So it kind of shows that we can go to the cheese once again. This is a goat cheese, so it's going to have a soury goat cheese flavor, but it's also got. Blue, wild blueberries and lemon and thyme on it. So some of that herbiness and that fruitiness is really going to help out, I think, with the champagne. So it, looks, while, it looks beautiful. Yeah. While he's getting that ready, another thing that's on a champagne label that kind of helps you understand champagne a little bit more is it's usually on the back label, and you'll find something that has these two letters and then a bunch of numbers. Mm. Um, you'll find on it, you'll find, RM, you'll find NM, and I remember the last one. But you'll find these like little letters that tell you a little bit about the Champagne house itself. Okay. So in Champagne, and actually in a lot of regions, you'll have groups that grow and make their own. You'll have groups that grow and put put it together with other growers to make wines and then you'll have groups that will grow and buy grapes or juice to make stuff under their own label and so you have these different levels in champagne as well in champagne uh, so on the back label on mine it says rm and then a bunch of letters so the rm means that the pursuit the producer of this wine Grows their own and makes it themselves. Oh, okay. You have another one that has, it's a co-op. So you have a group of growers that put in together to make under a particular label. And then, like with your Moet and Chandon, you have NM. And NM is a group that grows but also purchases from others. So they're a negotiation. Oh, okay. So the, the N on the Moet and Chandon is negotiant. So they negotiate to buy okay. other stuff as well. And with, so 
But Something it's still, it's still come from the Champagne region. Yes, it all still comes from the Champagne region. It just lets you know kind of some of the quality control. Like one of the big things right now is grower champagne. Mm-hmm. You know, have you heard of grower champagne? No. So this Pierre Peters is actually a grower champagne. So they grow everything. They do it all themselves. They make it themselves. They're not buying any juice from anybody else. It's not lessening any quality. It just tells you a little bit about how it's produced and who is producing. Okay. Okay. Um, like the Moet and Chandon is a negociant. Negociant manipulation is the NM. So on, my, on the Pierre Peters, it's actually on the back label. It's really small. On the Moet and Chandon, it's on the front label. But it's always going to be there somewhere okay. to let you know a little bit about the grower or who makes it themselves. So Pierre Peters, it only owns 16 hectares. Which is How many? 16. That is small. 16 hectare, or I think it's actually 17 and a half now. But 16 other hectares are Grand Cru. And 16 hectares is like 30 to 40, I think is, yeah. is what it turns out. 30 to 40 acres, which is not a lot of space. Right. And they, they produce this great quality from that. You know, Moet and Chandon probably has hundreds of hectares of, of land that they pull from. And, you know, we talked about this coming from Lomineo sous Auger, which is Lomineo, which is an area, which is around sur Auger. So it's outside of a, re- a little region called Auger. And the region within Champagne that this comes from is the Côte de Blanc. Okay. So we talked about this being a Blanc de Blanc, right? All right. So if, what do you think the Côte de Blanc grows mostly? What well, grape? And they, um, What's the white grape? Blanc. Blanc. Chardonnay. Chardonnay, yeah. So Cote de Blanc, knowing this region, Cote de Blanc is going to be a majority of Chardonnay. Just like, well, like this one, it says it's a Blanc de Blanc. But in the Cote de Blanc, which is just south of Epernay, which if you've never, <laughs> you have the opportunity to go to Champagne, go. I was able to go two years ago. It was phenomenal. It's an hour-ish drive outside of Paris. And it's totally worth the go. Okay. We stayed in Epernay, spent a lot of time around Rance. And one of the cool things about Rance is you're, if you're a history person, is the cathedral in Rance is where all of the French kings and queens were coronated yeah. up until the 1700s. Okay. You would think it would have been Notre Dame in, right. Fran- in okay. Paris, right? Yeah, uh-huh. But it's actually in Rennes. So it's a really cool old church. And there's a bunch of really good food and obviously champagne. But also, once again, if you're a history buff, if you know about World War I, the, the trenches mm-hmm. during World War I were just outside of the Champagne region. Oh, no. And there's so many. They needed to protect it. Well, well yeah. Well, there was also, there were, and there are so many, there are so many monuments to World War One, around the Champagne region because so many, so many of the Champagne growers in the family, they were, they were involved in the war and, you know, died in the region. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also in World War II, heavily bombed region. And it's surprising, you know, that, that this has been able to come back up. There's a great book called Wine and War. Oh. That talks about this. So if you're a history person and you love wine 
we talked about Alsace is a great region, but Champagne's also a great one, especially if you're a World War buff, because there's a lot of history that goes on right around the region. So, all right, as I've been talking, you've been snacking. What are you? What are you tasting? That that, uh, goat cheese with the what did you say they were? Blueberries, blueberries, lemon, and thyme. Well, I didn't get the thyme out of it. I didn't take time to taste it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Ah, terrible dad joke. But that sweetness that I got from the goat cheese and the blueberries really enhances the sweetness of this wine. Yeah, these. and that bitter, that butter, butteriness, buttery part was gone. I didn't get the apples anymore. Right. I just got that wonderful sweetness. Yeah, you know, it really kind of like the goat cheese covers up that at the acidity right of the wine. And just leaves it like fresh lemon. To me, it's that lemon that really comes through. Mm-hmm. And that like brightness of the blueberry, which is really, really good. And, you know, I think it's just a wonderful thing. Like, you know. Actually, now, had you had this goat cheese before with it? I haven't had this goat cheese. I've had blueberry, go- blueberry mm-hmm. goat cheese with champagne before. And so I knew it would be okay. But the lemony, the lemoniness of this is really surprising because it, it goes so well with the champagne because mm-hmm. there's that lemony citrusiness mm-hmm. in the champagne as well white on white that's great that's really good yeah white from white you know some of my actually my favorite champagnes are actually blanc de noirs okay so white champagne clear champagne from black or red grape and actually probably the favorite my favorite one that i've had are 100 percent meunier or pinot meunier champagnes there's just this there's this rich... Now, that's just one of the three grapes that yeah. can be used, right? Right. Yeah. So, I, I've had a couple of producers that make 100% Pinot Meunier or Meunier champagnes, and there's just this, like, deep depth that you don't find in other champagnes. So, now, is that that champagne you're talking about, was it 100% Pinot Meunier? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. I, um, I didn't have a chance to buy it. So, I used to be a part of the... Now, does it turn up pink? No. So it's a, it's a Blanc de Noir. So it's actually white. Oh, Blanc. Or it has a, sometimes they'll have like a little light salmon-y hue to it mm-hmm. because of the skin grape. But I was part of a, a champagne group for a while coming out of Seattle called Fat Court. Okay, I hadn't heard of that. And they ship all over the U.S. They're a phenomenal group, but they focus on grower champagne. So they're bringing in some of these, they're also an importer. So they bring in a lot of these like smaller names, smaller house champagnes into the U.S. and sell them. They have a lot of Blanc de Blancs, but they have a few from Villa de Mar, which is kind of more on the eastern edge of, of the Champagne region that does a lot of Pinot Meunier, mm-hmm. that does, you know, Blanc, Blanc de Noir from Pinot Meunier, or they actually have 100% Pinot Meuniers. And it, it's been some of the best champagne that, I, that I've oh, okay. actually ever had. Pork belly time? Yeah, I think it's time to move on to the pork belly. So, a little bit about this pork belly. I bought this pork belly from Trader Joe's. It was actually already cooked and ready to serve. But I wanted to kick it up a little bit. And I've talked before how I have a a vacuum sealer. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, an emergent circulator so I can cook sous vide. Mm -hmm. What I did with this was I took some dark and thick soy sauce, some gojujang, which is a spicy... Uh, fermented red bean paste from Korea, mm-hmm. uh, garlic, shallot, thyme, and sage, and I kind of made this little paste thing. Covered it up, you know. Covered the 
the pork belly up in it, vacuum sealed it, put it in the um, put in the water at 70, 74 degrees Celsius. So that's about 160 some no, odd. Something like that. Yeah. 160 some odd. Let it go for three, for about three hours. Then I just rendered down the fat of the pork belly in, in a cast iron skillet. And actually the, the fat from the pork belly is what I cooked the popcorn in. Oh, really? Just a little, just a little tip. It didn't come, it didn't really come through, but. Don't listen, mom. <laughs> <laughs> she knew she was there. Well, okay. Uh, and then seared it off to kind of give it this fate, you know, kind of. So what I'm going for here is the, the, the salt and the fat, the salt from the dick and, from the thick and dark soy sauce and the fat from the pork belly to kind of go and kind of do some of the same things that I, that why I like duck, mm-hmm. but to be without the gaminess to go with the Blanc de Blanc style. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it was going to work really well. And I like playing with the, the fermenty spiciness of goju jang. I think that's a really, it's a fun flavor to play with. That's not done a lot. Yeah. I don't, I doubt it's going to come through a whole bunch, but I think it'll be good. So as you're tasting it, um, let me know what you think. So, yeah, the the fattiness of the meat kind of brings out some back. I get back to the butter flavor of the champagne. Apples are gone. Lemon's gone. It just shows how versatile this champagne is. How yeah. it loves that fat. It really does. Like you know the the acidity wants that fat, and that salt. You know. So if you're th- if you're starting if you've if you've been with us long enough, when we talk about wine, there are certain parallels. You know, heat wants sweet, mm. fat wants acid, mm. acid wants salt. Mm. So you kind of have, you start to learn these things. And now, even if you can't find something on the internet or you're just want to try something yourself, when you start thinking along those lines, you know a little bit about the wine, you know, the food you're cooking, mm. you can create great pairings all on your own. Mm. What do you think? Pork belly's delicious. <laughs> well, I love pork belly. So they already had it cooked. Which, which was, you know, unusual. I would think. Yeah. But the thing about that, ooh, that's really good. You're right. It keeps the breadiness, the brioche-ness mm-hmm. of it. It's almost, like, it's almost like really good butter spread on really good toast. Uh-huh. It's kind of kind of flavor going on. And I got a, a little bit of the, the uh, really caramely, caramelized bit of the skin. Mm-hmm. I kinda that add, yeah. added that. Mm-hmm. Add that extra flavor to it. Pork just kind of, pork goes really well with this. What was I saying before? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the butter in this. Yeah, but before that, I was talking about something else. Anyway, man, that's, that's a really good pairing. Well, these three pairings are, all three of them are really good for that champagne. Right. So uh, I think I heard somebody pouring some. <laughs> but the, um, like you said, each one is different. Yeah. So the popcorn, I mean, that's a... I mean, you go to a bar and you order some champagne, they may just bring you some popcorn. Mm-hmm. Or they already have it at the bar. Right. But they're not going to bring you the cheese or the, or the pork belly. Right. But if you go to the restaurant on the other side of that bar, you could you could order either one of these. Yeah. Maybe I, not so much the goat cheese with the blueberries, but you could probably get the, get the pork belly. Right. Or some other fatty, maybe you get that duck like you were talking about, right? on the restaurant. Well, and this makes me want to try like a ribeye. I'm not a big ribeye eater because mm-hmm. there's so much fat in it. Oh, but this would. Be, uh, that's that's oh, kind of what I'm thinking. Oh. Is trying like a ribeye 
you know, not an overly spiced, but a really good seasoned black pepper, salt, pepper, or black pepper, salt, steak, fatty, like a ribeye to kind of go with this or an aged mm-hmm. or something with some age on it to kind of help that fat kind of break down or even, um, Kobe, you know, even Kobe or Wagyu has that fat marbleized into it. And you immediately think, oh, red wine. But I really think, (laughs) I think this, I think this could be a great, could be a great addition to that. You know, I'd love to, I I really, now I'm really wanting to try that at some point, but you know, chalk that up to my champagne dinner (laughs) (laughs) one of these days. (laughs) Maybe once COVID is gone, we can get a bunch of listeners together and do a big, do a big tasting. That That would be be, fun. That'd be lots of fun. But so, um, so a little bit more about the champagne. Like I said, yeah, they only have 17 and a half hectares. I think 16. So I looked it up. 107,000 plus square feet is a hectare. U.S. hectare is 53,560. So like you, I think you did a so real quick. So you're looking like five, you, it's like five hectares per uh, acre, right? Yeah, it's like, like well, 107 yeah, it's it's, it's, it's three it's to five. Rough, it's yeah. roughly four and a half to five, five hectares per acre. Mm-hmm. So those of you that kind of have hectare interest- acres are bigger, but when you even when you say sixteen or seventeen and a half, that's next to nothing. That's next, and if you think in of the like world the world of growing grapes, mm-hmm. and especially in an area that's been the Champagne area of France, have been doing grapes since the 1700s and for them it only had that seven seventeen and a half heck hectares now back to the two letter code if i remember what you said they're not buying contract grape no they, so they're only using the grapes on that 17 and a half hectare well yes but also they're they're using even smaller because this is grand cru and they can only use grand cru grapes so That's they're right. actually running on 16 hectares Okay, so they not so this they don't make much. They make yeah they don't they make a good amount, but they don't make they don't make anywhere near like what Moet and Chandon makes. I mean, yeah, they have seven different levels that they make, uh-huh. but they don't make. Uh, I'd have to look up their actual like case production, but like I just looked up Moet and Chandon. Moet and Chandon makes twenty eight million bottles a year. Uh yeah, <laughs> there's okay. that's nowhere near. They have 1,190 hectares of vineyards. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, we're talking, like, one-tenth. Yeah. Like, Pierre Peters probably makes, if it's one-tenth, that means they probably make around 28,000 bottles. Yeah, well, I'm seeing 2 million cases per year for Moet and Chandon. Yeah, which is two, which would be 240 or sorry, twenty four million yeah. bottle, <laughs> and you know, so a huge difference. There's, there's a, yeah, we're t- we're looking yeah. at a we're looking at a big difference between the two between the two companies here, but they're all coming from the from the same region, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, Pierre Peters has only really owned land in Champagne since um, since the late eighteen hundreds, and they oh, actually okay. they actually started with. Um, they only started with two hectares. This with a tiny with a tiny little pot in in eighteen fifty in eighteen fifty eight. 
They only had two hectares. I wish you'd buy me two hectares. I wish even you. In, even in California, Napa, I'd be happy. Oh, God. Okay. You want to, they're a million dollars a hectare. I know. Or a million, wait, it might be a million dollars an acre. Probably a million dollars an acre. Yeah, it's a million, it's a million dollars an acre in, in Napa right now. It's probably about that same price in yeah, Champagne. That's probably, I mean, why don't you. the same in Willamette, why, why don't you buy that for your son? <laughs> As, right. <laughs> as we can continue on the mills, the mills wine line, right? As we go on, you know, but in 19, you know, as the, as they've moved forward, it wasn't really until after World War II that they started to, you know, attain really extra land. And they were some of the first people to actually sell under the, growers to sell under their own name. Okay. You know, Champagne has been around for a long time. There's a great book. A great book if you like champagne and you're you're really interested in you know Vuv Clicquot or the widow widow Clicquot Paul Sardin and talks about her race to Russia when mm. it comes to champagne. Russia was a massive buyer of champagne, mm. and that was part of the reason go why. with that caviar exactly. <laughs> you know they were some of the big buyers, and England is another big buyer. You know Boulanger. Boulanger Champagne is the official champagne of uh, of the Royals. Okay, like it's the official champagne of Buckingham Palace. You know, okay. Boulanger is you know um, Paul Roger. Their Tete de Cuvée is Winston Churchill. Okay. So I mean, so there's a there's a lot of history when it comes to, but you know, Champagne had a problem. You know, there's bubbles, and the bottles would explode. Uh-huh. So there was they had to figure out a way to keep the bottles and then. You know what? We're running eight to nine atmospheres of pressure in a bottle mm-hmm. at a time. So it's a there's so that, a gr- there's a great book called it's called it's called the Widow Clicquot, and it 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 follows the Widow Clicquot of Vuve Clicquot and her race against Moet. Okay. To get to Russia fast. All right. To produce the bottles fast enough to get there. But anyway, it's a it's a great it's a great book. It's a great read. Um, okay. You learn about riddling. Yeah. For the first time, which is really cool. But anyway, you have any th- any other questions about uh, the champagne? Or no, I think I think you covered it very well. Before we move on, well, let's, I'm ready to move on. If you All are, right. let's uh, let's move on to the Moet and Chandon. All right. So you talked about the three grapes, and uh, the Rosé Imperial is like forty to fifty percent Pinot Noir. Okay. And thirty to forty percent of the Pinot Meunier. And then ten to twenty percent Chardonnay, so very little Chardonnay there, right? Compared to yours, that was a hundred percent. Yeah. So that is a huge difference. You talked about the nectar, which I was looking for and never found, but its sweetness. Des- describe what it was again. It's the so it's technically at a at a demi sec level. Demi sec level. Mm-hmm. But this and this one is this is this is more of a brute. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a it's a beautiful pink or rose color. Yeah. This is a bubbles really, are still coming up from the bottom. Yeah, this is a now really it's been thirty minutes or more. So it's been about, you know, fifty minutes. Um so just just once again, we're uh I forgot to say this earlier. We're tasting these out of Rita white wine glasses. Because we really like the openness of the bowl so we can get our nose in. We're not actually drinking out of flutes or coops. Right. Well, 
And I think we said in one episode about that, that, you know, the flute is designed to show you the bubbles. Mm -hmm. So I guess if we'd have poured these into a flute, we'd still be seeing a lot more bubbles. Right. Isn't that right, Josh? Yeah. But yeah, so I get a, I get a lot of red fruit on the nose. Yeah, this is like you said, it's a beautiful like dark rich pink color. I get a lot of like white cherry, strawberries, and some light some light strawberry or maybe early, some, earlier late season strawberry. Maybe some raspberry in there too. Yeah, but there's this like there's still that bready, brioche quality and that like the bitteriness that just mm-hmm. like the smell of it is making my mouth water. So that like lets me know that there's some good acid going on. It's going to smell really good. As far as legs, we all we forgot to talk about legs with yours. They're kind of short but strong leg. Right. You know, and I I love I love that smell. I mean that that fruity floral rosé, strawberries, cherry, raspberry. Yeah. So nice. So both both of these champagnes rain in it at twelve percent alcohol. Yeah. They're, they're light, easy drinking. And the price point on this one, I did buy it. And Thursdays at this liquor store, you get 20% off. So it was like $59. Yeah. I mean, that's very economical when you consider the different champagnes. Right. And so with this one, it's really, it's dry. You know, there's not a whole lot of residual sweetness in it. You get, to me, it's kind of like jam. The fruitiness has been cooked down. It's got that light sweetness to it, but it's not like biting into it really fresh. It's not as jammy as a, you know, a big right. Cabernet Sauvignon. It's not, and that's the thing is it's not jammy. And right. Like, but it's like the fruit flavors are, and this is like where I come into like my head of how I blind taste. They're not, it's not underripe. It's not overripe. It's not ripe. Ripe. It's not sweet cooked. It's not sweet jammed, but mm-hmm. it has that consistency. It has that feel of something that has been cooked, but the sweeten. It's almost like the sweetness has kind of been cooked out of it. Okay, but I'm not saying that I don't like this at all. Are you saying it's it's less sweet than the first one? No, I didn't think you were. I was trying. No, to... I I don't think either. It's hard to tell which one of these is sweeter. The Pierre Peters has more acid. Yes. It is much high. I would say it's much higher in acid, and it's presenting this really sharp, tending toward bitter qualities, where this is more along the lines of like white versions of each fruit, like white cherry, white strawberry, mm-hmm. white, ra- white cranberry. Okay. To me, it's more white cranberry than uh, raspberry. Okay. So it's a little bit more on the bittery side of each one of those so on the on the website they give you a five-step tutorial about what to do starting with put your bottle in a ice bucket or whatever you have all the way up to and this is where i sometimes make a mistake twisting the bottle as you're holding the cork (laughs) We actually we actually and talked then, about this as we were opening the bottle. Yeah, and and then step five, of course, is pouring it into your glass. Two thirds full, they say, and that's that's to get that nice nose and bubbles that you all want. So well, I'm 
what we have to pair, and I think we'll we'll start with. I do have a, a slice of pear. Uh huh. And I'm I'm interested to see how that might go with this rosé. I think it would gone. Should have t- tried it with yours, but I did make a puff pastry of Canterbury cheese. I think we'll start with that one and the pear, and then I have like a three course, which is including salmon, and then I have a red velvet. Red velvet cake, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you this. I I jumped the gun, and I tried the can the camembert and the puff pastry, and just by itself, that camembert and puff pastry is so good. It's so nutty. It's so buttery. It's, it's really really good by itself and you know sometimes when you have these kind of when you have these kind of dishes you'll have like a fig jam or like some kind of like fruit spread that'll be like inside or on top of it Mm -hmm. and the champagne acts like that Mm -hmm. like it acts like that white cherry jam or you know syrupiness that goes over it and is it is really really good you know, for your first time making something like this, it's phenomenal. Like, it's, it's really... Well, it's really easy. It's really, really... Yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> well, it is really easy. I mean, you, you get a puff pastry out of the grocery store, and you buy the cheese in the little round box, and you roll the pastry out and wrap it around the cheese and pop it in the oven at 400 degrees well, for 25 you, minutes. You just, you just try that while I talk about this for a little bit. Because it I is, just tried it. It's fantastic. It's I mean, that buttery of the butterness of the cheese. Right. So those of you that love good mac and cheese, like good casserole style mac and cheese, this tastes like casserole mac and cheese without any of the extra calories. Without, right? the, without, the, <laughs> without the mac, without the, you know, without all that. Like it, it tastes and I, like, I, I, you know, so far this is the best thing I've eaten. Like oh, well, on the plate, and I love, and I, you know me, I love pork belly. Oh yeah, and I love the way I did my pork oh, really? belly. <laughs> but honestly, like this you is beat the pork belly. It's yeah, his oh, that is gosh. that is fantastic. We need to add that to cold table, mm-hmm. to Christmas cold table. Um, oh, that's another time that we do champagne. That is it? another one we do. So um, Christmas cold table. My mom spent a year in Norway as an exchange student after she finished. Um, after she finished high school, and one of the traditions she brought back was the idea of cold table. And on Christmas Eve, which is actually when Norwegians share most of their gifts, that's right. Their dinner time meal is a non-cooked meal mm-hmm. or cold table: meats, cheeses. They do a porridge and things like that. And you know, we've done that. I think forever, as long as I can remember. Quite a, quite a number of years. We've, right. done, we've done cold table before, hanging out before going to midnight service. But that'd be a, be a great addition to a cold table, I think. Did you try the pear? So I'm, ju- I'm just getting to the pear now. Is this a Bosque pear? Yes. Okay. It's just getting into Bosque pear season, too. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah, it, it actually like kicks up the sweetness of the champagne. It does. Because this boss pears, you know, boss pears aren't always super sweet. Um, they can be a little bit on the, you know, more mild side. Yeah. But I think it's really good. A little more about 
Moet and Chandon. So originally it was Moet, and it's a uh, largest champagne producer. They have 1,190 hectares. So that's a little bit larger. (laughs) You know, just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And and they started in 1743. King Louis the 14th, no, 15th, he was drinking that sparkling wine. He increased the demand, as they called it then, sparkling wine, and, and they began shipping from Champagne to Paris for that reason. In 1833, the company was renamed Moet et Chandon after Peter, I'm going to murder this name, Gabriel Chandon de Brazils because he was the son-in-law and joined the company. That's how it got its full name. Now, fun fact here is Moet and Chandon merged with Hennessy Cognac in 1971. Had you heard about that, Josh? I knew they were a part of the, a part of the, a part of the Hennessy because I've always known it as the importer in the brand is Moet Hennessy. Yeah. But recently, they have also merged with Louis Vuitton. Yeah. And they are now Louis L. So we kind of know it as LVB, LVM, LVMH. Yeah. That's down here in my nose too. Yeah. And Chandon holds a royal warrant. As supplier of the champagne to Queen Elizabeth. Really? Yeah. I thought, I thought that's that, what this says. See, I thought that was I thought it was Bollinger. Well, that. I wonder who I wonder who the official champagne of um, of the White House is. He don't drink. Well, I'm not talking about him. Oh, that there is still a there is still one for the for the White House. We'll have to Google that later. I mean, that'd be that'd know. be interesting to know. I mean. One of these days, maybe I'll get invited to a state dinner and find out. But oh, really? Sure. <laughs> Wear your mask. Well, hopefully, I'll have the vaccine by that point. But yeah, so that's that's really good. So, what and you- another fun fact: Don Perignon is a brand of champagne produced by Moet and Chandon. Chandon. So it's the Tête de Cuvée. So Moet and Chandon has like two top tiers of champagne. They have their Grand Vintage, their Grand Vintage Brut. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is their vintage champagne, um, which has, you know, hand. So you, you've seen this um, on the label there. It has the vintage written on it. Mm-hmm. So the handwriting of that is from there. It's actually the hand. It's actually the winemaker's handwriting. Okay. So they have that uh, current selling vintage is 2012. Mm-hmm. I need to find a bottle of 2009 to add to my vertical. Cause I have a, a three. Four, no, I have a four and a six, then a nine and a twelve. So one of the things about champagne is champagne is not standard because it doesn't say what year it comes from. Mm-hmm. In the assemblage, or when you put it together, the cuvee, the making of the cuvee, it can come from multiple years unless it's declared a vintage. And then if you're going to make a vintage wine, it has to come from a, all the all the wine in the in that. And that has to come from a specific vintage, from a specific year. Okay. They've had more vintages recently because of global warming. Climate's gone up, so they've got, has some, had some really good years. See, 2012 is on the market. I think the next after that will be 2015. Okay. Is going to be declared a vintage. That's kind of one of the interesting things about Champagne. Most of them are non-vintage. Mm-hmm. 
But so we were talking about Domperion. And so Moen Chenon has the Grand Vintage Brute. And then above that, they have Domperion. And then an even more spectacular years than come Grand Vintage Brute or come Domperion are the, are the Rosé years. Okay. So well, what this says is 2020 current release of Dom Perignon is from 2010. Yeah. Yeah. 20, yeah. 2010, 2010 Dom is the most recent I've seen. I've seen six. I've seen nine. I've seen eight. You know, we don't have a whole lot of places that have older than that. Um, most places that will sell it. But I actually was in where I bought at um, Oluni's where I bought the Pierre Peters. They had a ball of Dom Rosé mm-hmm. from 2006. Well, that's what this says, too. The current release of Dom Perignon Rosé mm-hmm. is 2006. Right. And so with the, with the Dom, with the Tete Cuvées like Dom Perignon, Winston Churchill, those, those type of things, they'll hold them for like eight to ten years. Right. So, well, six to, eight, six to yeah, ten years I, minimum. Yeah, that's what I saw. And before they release it, because they want it to develop that flavor, they know laying it down on the leaves will actually develop more better. flavor. Uh-huh. And but then know. they say after that, it doesn't get any better. I disagree with that statement. Oh hardly. well, that's what it said. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what they say. I will never know. So I'll, I'll tell you this. So at at New Year's last year, Jordan and I opened a bottle of 2009 uh, Dom Perignon. So at that point, it was you know 11 years old. It was so acidic, it was almost undrinkable. Okay. It needed to lay down for longer. So after it developed out, of, after it's developed out of, on the lees, it can still develop in the bottle. Mm-hmm. That wine could have set for another ten years. Oh wow! And a bit okay. I, I think the oldest, the oldest, the oldest champagne I've had was I had a 1988 champagne two years ago. So a vintage of Veuve Clicquot, and it was developed. It was it was it had all these extra flavors to it that I wouldn't have been able to try if it would have just been, you know, if it would have been drunk right away. Mm-hmm. So it won't get any better, maybe on the lees, but in the bottle, it will still continue to develop. Oh, okay, one hundred percent. So uh, you you were you, asking official of the White House. Yeah, I don't know the answer. Right. But the official Formula One champagne for 1966 and 1969 was Moet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you see it a lot in, and, in Hollywood, too. Yeah, and then uh, Roger Ferreter, uh, the tennis star, uh-huh. he had Moet shunned on for 2012. Right. I mean, I remember it's, watching it's a, the- it's a famous. It's a famous champagne. And lots of people like, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And famous people like Joanne and I like. <laughs> and famous people like, like me, Josh, like. Well, the podcast. Well, the yeah. Team. So, <laughs> but no, I remember watching the, the Oscars once and on the tables, like where, you know, they had like seed to meals. There was a bottle of Moe and Shendon. Oh, okay. The regular, the Imperial on each table. So uh, how's the salmon with it, Ed? The salmon I did very simply, just a little olive oil, a little salt, and then I have a special seasoning that we bought in Mexico that kind of, it has a little spice, but I didn't put too much with it. But that sweetness of the the salmon goes really well with the sweetness of the champagne. Yeah. It kind of draws out 
some of that fruit. Some more of the like cherry and right cranberryness of it. Right. And you know what I was gonna do is uh, strawberries. Yeah, chocolate strawberries. strawberries. Chocolate covered strawberries for the for the dessert. I think that would have been a classic. Right. But last night, Joanne's brother and friend Becky came over, and we asked them to bring in a dessert. And so they brought this luscious red velvet cake. Is this from the All About Bunts? Yes. How'd that, you know? Well, so it's in, it's in the shape of a bunt cake. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing oh. bunt cakes. That's what it is. Yeah. Couldn't remember the name, but, but I mean, you know, if you yeah. don't live in Little Rock, if you ever visit Little Rock, there are places that you want to go. And this is one of them. We talked about Blue Cake Company. We've talked about Rocktown. We've talked about Lost Forty. There's just places you want to go. And Little Rock's not a big town. And of course, we're all social distancing and wearing our masks right now. There are places you want to go. Right. And nothing bunt cakes is really good. They do everything in, in a bunt cake mold or a mini bunt cake. And, mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't know this, red velvet cake is actually chocolate cake. Yeah. Just painted red. <laughs> yeah, painted red. <laughs> You know, originally, it was actually the reaction of vinegar and the cocoa powder that that made a red hue to a cake. Now, most of the time, there's red food coloring put in a cake. But it's really good, you know. The chocolate. Tried the the cake? I did try it. The chocolate. snuck up on me. Yeah. The chocolate works really well with the the champagne. Um, You know, it's, it's not a really heavy chocolate flavor. Um. To me, the only thing that is, is a little bit of a miss is the uh, the cream cheese icing. Oh. Part of it is because I don't care for cream cheese icing. That's right. Part of it is is that sourness mm-hmm. of the cream cheese doesn't really play well with the champagne itself. It, it kind of takes over the champagne and just leaves well, that soury. That sourness, and I flavor. have to agree with you, that sourness that you get kind of get this little taste of pepper it's not really the baking spices with this champagne but i i kind of get this little zing of like white pepper okay you know not the real intense black pepper but just a little bit of it because of the of that little bit of sourness Hmm. and i'm not saying that's bad right i'm just saying you know we're just talking about what we're tasting right well, let's see. So you need to try. Give me that pork. You need to try the pork belly with that rosé. I like, bet it. I bet it'll be good. I just tried it, and it's spectacular. So did you know that uh, Dom Perignon was a Benedictine monk? You know, I did. I have actually been to his grave. Have you really? Yeah, when we were in Ch- when Before we were you drinking <laughs> Moet or Dom Perignon. I did, I did not drink champagne in the church where he's buried. <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> no, but when we when we were on a trip in Champagne, our last day there, we went up to the town where his where he's buried, and we went in the church, and it was really cool to you know, you know, supposedly he's one of the he's one of the people that created champagne or kind of came up with the idea to to capture the stars. Of the of the champagne 
you know, of the of the bottle, that secondary fermentation. So this says, contrary to popular belief, he did not discover the champagne method of making sparkling wines. I don't know who did it. I'd be happy if he did it. I don't know who did it. Right. Happy somebody did. It's so. You know, so there's the there's the quote good. that's attributed to Don to Dom Perignon. That's come quickly, brothers. I've bottled the stars. And so <laughs> you know, for a long time, and I don't I don't know if you remember this from because it's before my time. Uh, Joe was telling me this that Moe the regular Moe and Shendon, like just their regular brute. Used to be called White Star. Yeah. Is it a White Star? Is you know, well, know the that. stars and you know on the court there's actually a star, like a shooting star. Oh really? On it and you know there's there's so in the book I was talking about there's a particular vintage I think it's 1912 or 1812 that there was a comet that came by. Well, the first vintage of Don Perignon was 1921. Okay, but there's it may it may have been 1921 and only released for sale in 19. 19- Thirty-six. So there was a there was a specific vintage that a comet came by. Okay. And supposedly that that comet was, it, it just it signaled that it was going to be a banner year for champagne, and we were they were going to show a bunch. It's going to be a vintage. It's going to be the best vintage ever. And so that's kind of where the White Star, plus the the legend of Dom Perignon, mm-hmm. kind of came into came into play with with that idea. But you know. So what's going to happen this year? The two largest planets in our solar system are like coming together to make a superstar. Well, so the problem with this some year, people call that the Christ star. So the it's Jupiter and Saturn, right? Not Jupiter. Yeah, no, that's right. That's the two largest planets, Jupiter and Saturn. Saturn. So the problem with this year is COVID has been terrible Mm -hmm. for the champagne market because champagne is a is it is a celebratory drink. Yes. You get married, you buy a bunch of champagne. Right. Well, when you have COVID, you can't get together, you can't have 300-person, you know, receptions. Right. And the growers in champagne want to keep their supply down. They have been dumping champagne down the drain. They have been, No way. They have been pouring. They have been pouring it out. And this is the this is the point about where do like, we go to get that pour? <laughs> well, it's already it's gone at this point. But this goes to kind of what you were talking about. You know, I think right now there are some larger houses mm-hmm. who have an extra surplus of what they normally sell mm-hmm. sitting in their warehouse. So rather than pour it down, rather than making it and cellaring it. Mm-hmm. In the chalk line caves, which we didn't even talk about that. You know, that's it's kind of sad that they're just, you know, just dumping it for trying to keep their supply down. But, you know, it's it's the name of the game. They, they got to do what they got to do to make money. Yep. So and they have nowhere else to put it. I guess that's what they got to do. You know, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. And it probably costs them more to seller it than it would just to take the loss on the, well, on the champagne. So. Yeah. Well. So maybe tax-wise, they can take the loss and yeah. come out okay. Yeah. So, well, are you ready to do the blind? I'm ready to do the blind. All Jordan. right. Well, let's All board right. up. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get into this blind. Once again, I'm using a tasting sheet, which was developed by Jen Hendrickson. 
who was a my boss and a advanced candidate in the quartermaster sommeliers for wine. So here we go. All right, so this wine is a, I'd say it's clear. Um, it's definitely cold. You can see through it. This is a kind of a a, a rosy color. Um, you know, Pretty. I call this kind of like a pale red. Um, pretty color. Really. It it is a very it is a very pretty color. It's got some hues of orange and salmon in it. There is evidence of gas in this, and it's pretty prominent when it comes to the bubble structure. Yeah, man, it's all over this glass. I'm using the uh, Riedel Red all-purpose glasses, which is what I taste everything out of, just as a practice. Um, strong. Strong effervescence on this. Um, not even a try for tears or staining just because of the bubbles are going to throw it off. And this is also a clean glass. So let's give it a smell. <laughs> this is a, uh, is a clean wine. It's, you know, it's, I would say it's kind of younger on the side. There's some kind of moderate flavors going on. Moderate intensity. There's some brioche. There is some, you know, white cherry, red cherry cranberry, a little bit of raspberry. Like I said, there's some brioche butteriness. There's some like citrus zest, some citrus zest on this very much. There's some minerality on it. You can kind of smell some like chalky, chalky minerality on it. There's no real evidence of earth or wood on the nose. Must be a Chardonnay, huh? <laughs> Not with that color. <laughs> on the palate, it's clean. There's no real flaws to it. Presents a lot of red fruit, confirming those red cherries, white cherries, cranberry. Also confirming the citrus, the citrus zest. Not really a juice or pith on this. Um, it's kind of fresh when it comes to the, the condition of the fruit. Um, it's not really yeah, stewed or jammied. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. No real evidence of like earthiness on it, but there's definitely some minerality, some chalky. Some wet stone, some limestone on this. Ooh, that's so good. <laughs> it's dry because of the bubbly characteristic. I'm gonna go ahead and call it a brute. The body is medium. It's a rounder texture than I was kind of expecting. Um, there is some extra body to it. It's not just racy acidic like the first one we had. Acid is gonna be medium plus with no tannins in this. The alcohol I'm gonna say is medium minus medium. You know, kind of that twelve. 12. You know, the 11 to 13 percentage range. Um, I mean, I guess you could say, I don't know, phenolbilic. So I'm going to skip that one. It's definitely balanced, but it's definitely. So what color did you call this? I called it a pale red mm-hmm. with some salmon and orange as a secondary color. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got some orange on Orange uh, color. Complexity, it's a, it's a pretty complex wine. Finish. Just shortened, but mostly just because of the uh, bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, it finishes medium, medium plus, but it's kind of shortened or stopped, I guess you could say, um, by the bubbles itself. So I think that this is an old world wine. I think it is going to be mostly Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, maybe with some Chardonnay thrown in there. Um, I think this is could come from France. Uh, I guess you could possibly say it comes from. Germany or Italy, but it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. Um, 
And then I think this is actually non-age designated. So I think this is a rosé brut champagne from the Champagne region of France from a high quality producer. And it is a non-vintage wine. So that's my guess. All right. It's more than a guess. <laughs> well, that's, that's, right. my, that's my deduction. That's deductive reasoning. That's, that's my deduction there. So. so you think it's from France? I think it's you a think champagne. it's from Champagne region? Yeah. I'm not going to go so any farther. So at one point you said sparkling, but or I thought I heard sparkling. Well, it is a sparkling wine from the Champagne region Okay, within France. Not so, Germany. It, no, it is definitely not from Germany. All right. Well, there you have it. So next week we is a beer week. All right. And we are doing barrel-aged beers. Coming into the holiday season, we're going to kind of kick it up. Once again, it's going to be... Stuff we like to drink around the holidays, barrel-aged beers are coming out now. So, Dad, what are you doing next week as your beer? You know what? Nighty Night just came out, the 2020 Nighty Night. That's what I'm doing. That's Lost 40, Premier, barrel-aged. I love it. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to be do I'm going to be doing a more something that can be a little bit more readily found. Uh, I'm going to do a barrel-aged beer once again from Founders. Um, if I can find the rye barrel-aged or the rum barrel, we're going to do that one. If not, I'll let you guys know through social media if it changes. It's a KBS. <laughs> I might do the KBS. I might do the CBS. Uh, just whichever you d- can Just find. depending on which one I can find. So I might do the, Ken- the Kentucky Breakfast Stout or the Canadian Breakfast Stout. We'll uh, Sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll kind of see what I can find in the market as, as we move forward. All right. Well, so uh, once again, thank you for joining us on another episode of Acquired Tastings. This has been a great episode. Um, once again, this is a little bit longer, as uh, I like to, uh, you know, geek out about when it comes to wine. But we we really are happy that you guys have been here. We love seeing all the new countries that are popping up, listening to us. You know, we've got some good listeners out there in the Netherlands and Germany, Norway. We love we love Ireland. We love we love seeing it. Reach out to us on the socials. We're on Instagram at Acquired Tastings. We're on Facebook with Acquired Tastings. We're on Twitter as well with Acquired Tasting. And follow us on your favorite podcast platform and um, give us a give us a star rating or review. You know, pump us up. You know, we we got to see that we've been on some people's top podcast list as it comes with Spotify, which has been really cool to see. And um, yeah, and tell us if we're doing anything wrong. Yeah, yeah how us, we can do better. Yeah, give us give us some suggestions. To, yeah, suggestions. Yeah, give us some suggestions or tips or tidbits. You know, we're 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 learning this as we go on, and um, it's it's been a great episode. So once again, I'm Josh Mills, and I'm John Mills, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, and goodbye.